10. In our text this morning, we find the Lord Jesus Christ in the city or town of Nain. Uh, Nain, of course, is like many names in the Bible, uh, full of meaning and full of significance. And the word Nain simply means beauty. No doubt this little village uh, was set against a picturesque background nestled in a scenic or idyllic region of spectacular beauty. But sadly, when we come into the city of Nain uh, through our Bible reading this morning, the scene in our text is greatly marred, marred by the dreadful consequences of Adam's sin way back in the Garden of Eden. When God made man, God, of course, made man upright, Adam was created holy. But Adam rebelled against God. Adam transgressed that covenant that God had entered into with him. And God had said to Adam the day that he would eat the forbidden fruit, he would surely die. And of course, Adam fell into sin. And Adam disobeyed God. He rebelled against his creator. And death came into this world. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 and the verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And the meaning there is simply this, that you and I were represented by Adam, and indeed, uh, naturally, you and I came from Adam. And when Adam sinned, God saw you and I in Adam. And the Bible tells us that God looks upon you and I as being guilty of that original sin. When Adam sinned, we sinned with him. When Adam failed, you and I fell with him in that first transgression. And through that original sin, death has come into this world. And that is why men and women die today. It is the consequence of man's sin. Sin is really the killer and the murderer of us all. And when we come to the city of Nain, the scenic beauty of Nain was overshadowed by the arrival of death. This city, Nain, was marred. Its beauty was marred by the ravages of sin. As we enter Nain, we are met with a funeral procession. We see the pain etched in this face of this distraught woman. And this woman, of course, we're told, was a widow. She had lost the love of her life. She had buried her husband. But brokenhearted as this poor widow woman was over the death of her husband, her tears on this day were not because of the death of her husband. Death had come again to the home. 
We're not sure how long the interval was between the death of her husband and her son. It may have been years, it may have been months, it may have been weeks. It may well have been days. But death now visits the home once again. And this dear woman is plunged into the depths of grief, into the depths of sorrow. Death had come again to snatch away her child. This young man. She was now on the way to the grave side. To bury her child. And the Bible, the Holy Ghost emphasizes it was her only son. This was certainly a very sad day. A day of grief, a day of sorrow. A day of many tears. And in the short time that we have around the word of God this morning, I want us to consider our Savior's visit to the town of Nain on this very sad occasion. And I want to consider with you this morning what our Savior did when he met this funeral procession and this broken-hearted mother and widow. In the first place, notice here with me the presence, the presence of Christ in this town of Nain, the presence of Christ at this funeral procession. If you look there in verse 11, Luke chapter 7, verse 11, we read, And it came to pass the day after that he, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, went into a city called Nain. Now it's very easy for you and I to read our Bibles in a very casual manner and to simply glance at these great truths that are being set before us and feel to give them the attention that is due to the Word of God. But the Holy Ghost tells us these words are recorded for our learning. It came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain. This was no mere coincidence. This meeting with this widow woman did not take place by mere chance. Christ made his way purposefully, deliberately, intentionally to Nain, knowing all about this widow woman, knowing all about her grief, all about her sorrow, all about the pain that filled her heart and all about the tears that flowed from her eyes. Indeed, Christ timed his visit precisely so that his arrival at the gate of the city would coincide, would take place exactly the very same time as this woman was bringing her son to be buried. Christ made absolutely sure and certain that he was there for this woman in her time of need. You and I may not always realize it, but the Lord is always there for us in our time of need. The Lord Jesus Christ never fails his people. And certainly the timing of Christ on this occasion as on every occasion, was impeccable. Christ never fails to be with his children in their time of need, while our Savior's 
uh, physical body has certainly been raised from the dead, has ascended into heaven, where his physical body remains until the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must always keep in mind that our Savior, while he was truly man of very man, he is also God of very God. And while his physical body and presence cannot be everywhere at the same time or at one time, as God, Jesus Christ is omnipresent. He is the all-present one. And no matter where you and I may be at any given time, the Lord has promised to be with us. We have that exceeding great and precious uh, promise given to Joshua. Uh, way back in Joshua chapter 1 verse 5, after the death of Moses, uh, Canaan was before Joshua and the children of Israel. And there were many battles, many struggles. There would be times of defeat and times of despair and times of great difficulty. But nonetheless, God came to Joshua with this mighty promise, as I was with Moses. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. And what a glorious promise that is for you and I today. Some may say, well, uh, that's a promise that God gave to Moses. That's a promise uh, that God gave to Joshua. How could I possibly dare to claim that promise for myself today? And yet if you go home this afternoon and read through the book of Hebrews, especially Hebrews 13 and the verse 5, you discover that the Holy Ghost moved the apostle to remind the New Testament church, the New Testament believer, of this exceeding great and precious promise that we might claim these words for ourselves. As surely as God was with Moses, as surely as God was with Joshua, so God is with his people today, and so God will be with his people throughout all ages, throughout all time. No matter what you're going through today, no matter how deep or how dark the valley may seem to be, not only is there light at the end of that tunnel, but the light of the world is in your heart. Jesus Christ is in your life. He will never abandon you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never give you up to the world. He'll never give you up to the flesh. He'll never give you up to the devil. He is with his people he says, always, even on to the end of the age or on to the end of the world. Before our Savior's ascension into glory physically, he promised his disciples. And remember, the disciples at this time were plunged into grief as they contemplated uh, the death of the Son of God. And the Savior says in John 14, verse 18, I will not leave you. Now, of course, he had told them he was leaving physically. His body would be nailed to the cross. His body would be buried in the tomb. His body would be raised from the dead. His body would ascend triumphantly into heaven. And there his body would remain until he comes again in power and in glory to judge the world in righteousness. But even though he foretold his disciples of his 
bodily or physical absence. He assures them, I will not leave you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And the Lord has come to us afresh today. Jesus Christ is with us always. We've emphasized that he is all present. But there's a special sense in which the Lord is with his people. And again, a very special sense in which Christ is with us when we gather together in the manner that we are assembled here this morning. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am. In their midst. And certainly in the depths of sorrow and trial. The Lord promises when we pass through the waters. And through the fiery furnace of affliction. I will be with you. Now we're not always aware of his presence as we should be. We're not always sensitive to the Lord's presence as we ought to be. Indeed, there are times when God's people will actually, by their sin, by the sinful neglect of God's word, the sinful neglect of prayer, there are times, in a sense, we shut Christ out. That's a very dangerous thing for a Christian to do. The Lord Jesus said to the church in Revelation 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door. And there are some Christians, and they're going through their trials and their tribulations. And Christ is there for them, but they are, in a sense, keeping Christ standing at the door. And the Lord is seeking to come into the situation. The Lord is seeking to come into the circumstances that you're facing to help you. And he tells us, so he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. But nonetheless, there are times when we as the Lord's people, we shut Christ out. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. I wonder, are you guilty of shutting Christ out? You haven't been praying as you should, as you know you should. Either in the secret place, the Lord Jesus Christ teaches us to get into the closet, to get alone with God, to meet with God in secret. And I can only assume that God has given me this message today because some are guilty of neglecting prayer and, in effect, shutting Christ out. Or maybe it's the public prayer meeting. Another tremendous means of grace where God meets with his praying church, his praying people, where God draws alongside to give help 
in time of need. But you've neglected the place of prayer. You've neglected the throne of grace. You're shutting Christ out. You're, you're keeping Christ standing on the threshold. You're keeping Christ outside of the situation. Or through the neglect of reading the Holy Scriptures. God draws near to us as we read his word. God has a word for his people. It is vital that you and I give attention, diligent attention to our daily devotions, to getting alone with God in prayer and praying over the word of God, praying through the Bible. And again, there are some and they're shutting Christ out by their careless attendance at the public preaching. They'd hardly give Christ the time of day to speak to them. And from they come into God's house, they're looking at their watches and they're thinking, I can give the Lord a few minutes here, but I'm too busy. There's so much on my plate today. I have so much in my mind for the incoming week. And you're shutting Christ out by your careless attendance at the public preaching of the word. But men and women, we are losing out with God. We're losing out in this glorious fellowship with Christ who has promised to come in and sup with us, commune with us. And especially in time of need as we're passing through the valley and the trials and the tribulations of life. We need the Lord Jesus Christ to draw near. And he promises in James 4 verse 8, draw nigh to God. And he will draw nigh to you. Is that not what you and I need today and every day? And especially in time of great need. It's good to have family, good to have friends. I'm sure this widow woman had uh, lots of family around about her, lots of friends there. There was no doubt a crowd in that procession going to the graveside that day. But she needed Christ. And so Christ drew near. At the end of our reading we are told. The people declared God. God has visited us today. And you and I need a visitation from God. As a congregation, Coleraine Free Presbyterian Church needs a visitation from God. As a denomination, we need a visitation from God. This province of Ulster needs a visitation from God. But there's someone sitting here this morning. And you're facing such circumstances and trials. Grief and sorrow, problem after problem. One thing after another, many things all at one time. And you need a visitation. A visitation from God. You need Christ to draw near. But as well as the presence, notice here, secondly, the pity of Christ in Nain. If you look there at Luke chapter 7, verse 13, uh, we read, And when the Lord saw her, and when the Lord saw her, 
he had compassion on her. You know, Christ always looks upon his people with eyes full of pity, with a heart full of love, tenderness, compassion, even in our most backslidden condition. Maybe that's how you've come into God's house today, and you're sitting here listening to the devil, and the devil saying, God is done with you, God is through with you, uh, you're on the rubbish heap, if you like. But that's the devil's lie. In the worst of times, God always looks upon his people with eyes full of pity, with a heart full of love. God is looking upon this congregation today with a heart filled full of compassion. Christ always looks upon his people with compassion. You know, that word visited is a very interesting word. And I didn't really... Uh, look at it before. The Bible never ceases to amaze me. And uh, we've been studying God's word for a few years now. And yet every time you look into the scriptures, there's always something fresh, always something new. The word visited there comes from another word, episcopus. You think of the word epi, if something is epic. It's something that is great. It's something that is super. The word scopus isn't too difficult. You think of a scope. I do a little bit of shooting. And uh, if I didn't have a good scope, I couldn't hit a barn door. Uh, so a scope helps bring something that's far away uh, closer uh, so that you can see it more clearly and hit it. Or you think of the Hubble telescope looking into the depths of space. And here we have a visitor. This word, episcopus, is really the word that we find used of Christ when he's described as the great shepherd and bishop. You think of a bishop, an overseer, one who oversees, especially in this case, the work of God. And here we have the great shepherd, the bishop of our souls, and he's coming into this situation, the overseer, the one who knows all things. He is all present, but he's also omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. He sees not into outer space. Yes, certainly he does, but he, he sees into the depths of your heart. He sees into the depths of your mind. There's no thought in your mind, but Christ knows it. And he sees into the depths of the heart. He sees into the depths of the soul. He is the episcopus. And when he sees, he is touched. By what he sees. You know, it's possible for you and I to come to God's house this morning and and walk out the doors untouched. That would be a dreadful experience. If God does not touch your heart today through the reading and through the preaching of his word, I would not want to be in your shoes going home. 
and have to say, I was not touched by God today. But while you and I can come into a meeting like this and go home untouched, it is impossible for Christ, impossible for Christ to come into our service today and be untouched. The book of Hebrews tells us that we have such a great Savior that he is always touched. Always, without fail, he is touched by the sorrows, by the pain, by the grief, by the feeling of our infirmities. We have not an high preach which cannot be touched. That's very awkward sort of language, but what the Holy Ghost is emphasizing there is this. It is impossible. It is impossible that you would come into this service today with all your grief and all your trials and all your tribulations and all your concerns and fail to touch the heart of God. It cannot happen. And whatever your circumstances are today, be assured of this. Jesus Christ is touched. He's moved. We read where in John chapter 11, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, Mary, and Lazarus. Lazarus died. Martha, of course, said to the Lord, if you had been here, he would not have died. But the Lord was there. Not physically at the time, but he was there. He's always there. And physically, he came on the scene again, his timing impeccable. Though Martha and Mary didn't think so. And the Lord saw the tears of Martha and Mary, whom he loved. And the Bible says in the shortest verse in all Scripture that their tears, their broken hearts, so touched and moved the Son of God that Jesus wept. Jesus wept. No matter what you're going through today, we are reading here this morning, the Holy Ghost is setting forth before your eyes, before your heart today, a Christ who knows, who cares, who understands. And in a sense that I cannot fully understand or explain, a God in heaven who is touched by our feelings. There is no friend like the lowly Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. But notice here just very quickly the presence, the pity, 
In closing the power of Christ, as we bring the meeting to a close this morning, look there at verse 13. The Lord Jesus Christ draws near. His disciples were with him. There was a crowd with the Lord. And they meet with this funeral procession at the gate of Nain. And the Lord, this stranger, comes up, approaches this widow woman in her grief. This broken-hearted mother and the Lord Jesus Christ says to her, weep not. I don't know about you, but I'd never do that. I've gone into many, many homes. To meet with widows. And even mothers. I think of one home and the widow, she was inconsolable. Not just when her husband passed away, not just prior to the funeral, not merely for days afterwards. Even though we sat down with the Bible, opened the scriptures, and we could emphasize we we do not sorrow as others that have no hope. We are assured your husband is now face to face with Christ, his Savior. We will meet again in the glory. It is well with his soul, but no matter how I read, no matter how I prayed, her grief was impenetrable. She sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And I would never have thought to say to her, stop weeping. But that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. He approached this woman in her grief and her sorrow, the tears streaming down her cheeks, and he says, weep not. And I can't say for sure, but I feel, I know that's a dangerous thing for a preacher to say, but I suspect she obeyed. Not just because of the tone of sympathy, compassion, and tenderness in the Master's voice. But there was an authority here and a power in Jesus' words. He spoke with the authority of heaven. He said, weep not. The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And as Christ spoke to this dear woman, hope was born in her soul. His word inspired confidence in her heart. And by faith, she now expected something 
out of the ordinary something supernatural. And then Christ went to her dead son, her only son, and said, young man, arise. And he sat up and he spake. I wonder what he said. Having just come back from the dead, I wonder what he said. And here we see our Savior's power over death. This miracle, of course, uh, was a foretaste of things to come. And the day is coming, men and women, when all who are in the graves, all who are in the graves, without exception, will hear the voice of the Son of God say, Arise! And all the dead will obey. And they'll be reunited to their souls. In John 5, 28, we read where Christ said, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming. It's absolutely certain. We sometimes say, God says it. I believe it. That settles it. But that's not true. Whether you believe it or not, if God says it, that settles it. And this day, this resurrection day is coming. Whether you believe it or not, the dead will be raised, reunited to their souls for judgment. The hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. What kind of resurrection will you have? We're reading here of a young man. Young men die, young women die. Young man, if you were to die today, what kind of a resurrection would you have? Resurrection unto eternal life to be forever with the Lord. Or resurrection unto everlasting damnation. Where will you spend eternity? But notice in closing what Christ said in John 5 verse 24, just prior to speaking of the resurrection of the body. Here we read of Christ calling spiritually dead sinners to new life. And with this I close. Verily, verily, this is the truth. This is God's word, God who cannot lie. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word. We need to hear the word of God. Parents, you need to get your children, your young people, onto the sound of God's word. Lest they go to hell. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Have you ever had that experience? This spiritual resurrection. Passing from spiritual death to new life in Jesus Christ. 
Have you been born again? Verse 25, verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead, the spiritually dead, shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Have you ever heard God's word in such a fashion? Have you ever heard Christ speaking to you in such a powerful manner that you have passed from spiritual death to new life? Have you been born again? If that hour has never come for you, I pray that it will come for you today. Even now that God in mercy would speak with the voice that wakes the dead and cause your blinded eyes to see the altogether lovely, the irresistible beauty of the grace, the mercy, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would leave this house head over heels in love with God's Son, you to love him with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul. Let's bow together for prayer. If there is an anxious soul, do not leave without Christ. Speak to me or some brother or sister, maybe your mother, your father, Sunday school teacher. Speak to someone today. Get right with God. Ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and to take away your sin. Our gracious God and our Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy presence with us today. We thank thee for God and mercy visiting here. We do pray that thou wouldst speak to thy children and comfort them amid their grief, their sorrow, their trials. We pray for any out of Christ without a Savior, that even today, even now, may this be the hour when God in mercy would speak with the voice that wakes the dead and draw some sinner lovingly to Christ. Lord, part us now in thy fear and with thy blessing abiding upon each and every one who knows and loves the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity and in truth. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name and for Christ's sake. Amen and amen.